Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And, Noel, we've had a bit more time this week because we're, you know, we're in finale land. We've, we had three season finales uh, this week. We're going to, going to have the most dramatic, uh, the most significant series finale for us for a while, which is the end of the Marble League 2020, which is next week. So we're going to be looking at a much lighter show uh, load. And, and with that extra time, did I, you know organize my sheet music I still need to go through? Did I uh, take care of the backlog of video editing I have to do? No, I watched a season of Drag Race Thailand. I was very happy with it. <laughs> I applied for six jobs. Woo! <laughs> we know how to yeah. party here at the Televerse. Uh, fortunately, we also took the time to catch up with one of the uh, the new comedies from last year that people were, had been talking about that I had not seen, um, that, which is the other two. Uh, season one was on Comedy Central. Season two has been moved to... HBO Max, along with a number of other Comedy Central shows, uh, which we should probably discuss when we discuss the um, other two a bit. But yeah, a bunch of Comedy Central shows shifted over to HBO Max for their second seasons. Yeah, also shifting to HBO Max, Infinity Train, which yes. we really enjoyed season one and season two. And then I woke up the other day to season three is here. I was like, okay, how did I... I mean, I check, I regularly check the listings of like when shows are coming out and everything because yeah. of the podcast. How did I miss this? First of all. Second of all, terrible marketing because they should have been marketing that to me via my various algorithms. And how many people are going to even know that this is, I mean, yay, thank you, the AV Club, for writing a write up of it, or else I wouldn't have known that it was airing because no one in my timeline. Well, very, obviously not no one, because Noel, you're in my timeline, but very few people in my timeline watch animation. Not nearly enough. I need to diversify that. And so nobody was talking about it. Um, we will yeah. be talking about Infinity Train a bit probably next week. I definitely tweeted about it being on HBO Max. Like when? They, they put out a poster and everything, and I did, a, when I did like this? a short thread about it. It was at least a month ago. Yeah. Um, but they didn't give a date, I think. They just said coming soon. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was just like, here you go. Here's five episodes. And I just went, I don't have time to watch five episodes right now. I do, but my partner and I watched this show Yeah. Um, together. So it was like between that and watching Lucifer together for streaming in place, um, hashtag streaming in place, <laughs> um, we didn't have time to watch anything for Infinity Train uh, prior to us recording, to you and I recording today. So that's happening this weekend in 96 degree weather. Which, Ooh. yeah, it's going to suck. But at least we'll have Infinity Train. Yay, Winter Train. <laughs> like the, yeah. the, the, <laughs> let's, let's go into the, the Tundra tr uh, train car or whatever. We'll yeah. Just stay there. Yeah. It's like we are so deeply looking for various shows to cover. The fact that this one came out of nowhere. It's like, come on, guys. We're trying to put out a podcast here. Anyways, that'll be coming next week. Uh, there was some other TV news. Uh, this less exciting than new Infinity Train, of course. The Avatar The Last Airbender creators have left the Netflix live action remake that was happening. Yes. Reboot that was happening. Um, they've been working on that for a couple years. And finally... Mm -hmm. Just step back, citing creative differences, and basically, like... 
Well, more than even creative differences, like a lot of differences. Yeah, like they're like, there's no possible way the final show is going to match our vision of the show. So, yeah, bye. Did you read like a little bit more in depth about everything that happened with them? Just a little bit about it. um, And that them talking about it being a very frustrating creative uh, experience is what I know. Yeah. Um, they wanted more money and a larger budget, which mm-hmm. I mean, every showrunner wants more money. So neither here nor there, really. Um, mm-hmm. Netflix wanted to open up the casting process to include white actors, um, even just on like a just audition process. You don't yeah. have to cast them, but we need to like. And the creators were like, "No, you saw what happened to the movie, right? Yeah. We don't want to do that." Um, and. So one of the one of the articles I read pointed out that there are definitely ways to find a middle ground on both of those two facets of the disagreement of like yeah no fine we'll just we'll audition people we're not going to cast any of them but if you just want us to audition them we'll audition them and you can figure out money like mm-hmm. you, you can always figure out money the third problem I think was actually what the sticking point was which is that Netflix wanted a bloodier, grittier version of Avatar The Last Airbender. They wanted all the kids to be aged up significantly. They wanted a heavier emphasis on a romantic triangle um, between Aang, Katara, and Zuko, which, I mean, to be fair, um, I ship Zuko and Katara way more. But mm-hmm. it's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, they, but they really wanted like something much more... They wanted a different show. They wanted a different show. They wanted a teen and adult show as opposed to a kid show. Um, and a kid live action show very specifically. Um, and the creators were like, no, we're still going to make a kid show. So that's that's what this is. And then it was like, nope, we're both done. Bye. Yeah. Um, so whatever this live action version of Avatar The Last Airbender is going to end up being on Netflix, it's going to be very very not the show um which makes me just real anxious about like if they ever get back to the cowboy bebop live action mm-hmm. um, thing if once john Cho recovers um from the injury that he suffered on set um just makes me real nervous about that too so yeah well more on that as we hear yeah. more as the show either moves forward or, you know, just lingers in development hell. Um, the other news that I saw this week was uh, some more updates around the Bon Appetit video, uh, like, YouTube channel, which is not actually connected specifically with Bon Appetit magazine, but with Condé Nast Entertainment. And uh, so we had previously talked about uh, the fact that Sola, Priya, and Rick were all out, uh, Gabby is now also out, as you had mentioned. Uh, Molly Baz left in solidarity this week. Carla left in solidarity too, or asked to be released from her contract. Um, they're going to have new videos out in September so with some returning talent and some new people as well. And so far, like we, I, I've been looking for comments from the other people on the the you know the team who haven't said they're leaving and i haven't found anything but if you look at like the pictures that are going around of like the test kitchen team or whatever half of them are gone now um and the people who are left are andy brad claire uh emil christina alex and chris and 
so basically their white stars are left and then a few people who they bring on here and there to do some extra extra stuff. Like I don't think Emil and, and Christina host their own videos and I don't know about Andy. I'm not familiar enough with the various like verticals that they have. But definitely Brad, Claire, and Chris and Alex are four of their biggest ones and they're like the white hosts. So uh aside from obviously Molly um and uh so like Molly and Carla, right? So like the fact that like these their big names are, you know, the 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 laughy, jokey kind of going for a you know happy family here. We're the we're the stars though. We're the stars. You guys we're gonna pop by and make jokes about how Claire can't tempered chocolate and can't figure out this and can't figure out that. And it's a great thing that all these other uh, people are in the kitchen to help. Oh, they want to get paid. Oh, that's very different then. Uh, then I guess they're not essential anymore. Um, so it's not a good look. It's it's not a good look. And I, don't, I hope they aren't just assuming and hoping everyone is going to not notice that they haven't made a statement. Maybe they, you know, like... Uh, Gabby was out like a little bit after the other three um, people who who could not come to a contract agreement um, and or like the news broke of that. Uh, Carla left after Gabby. Uh, so like, you know, they there there's been it's not all been all at once with this. So maybe we will hear some more statements from people either, you know, like wishing the other people well, but they're going to stay with the channel and, or, or vice versa or something. Uh, but right now it's just, I'm not going to watch any Brad or Claire or Andy or Chris or, or Alex or Chris videos. Uh, if they don't make a statement, I'm still probably not going to, if they stay with the channel, I'm not going to watch them anyways, but you're really, you're hurting your brand. I don't know. It's also it's shitty too, but you're yeah. hurting your brand. What do you think about all this? I agree with you. I think it's it's bad for like especially on a personal brand level. Um yeah. a lot of this sort of thing, especially with like the Bon Appetit Condé Nast video stuff, but also with like video teams in general with this kind of pro with this kind of these kinds of publications. Um I've mentioned Polygon before and I so that's sort of like my favorite reference as well, because I engage Polygon more directly through their video team. Um, but it creates like a weird kind of star system almost where you, especially with the on-screen talent, can kind of create their own brand, basically, that can exceed Bon Appetit and Condé Nast as the actual brand. Um, that's where you that's this is why like in the old days of like the silent film studios they never released people's names um on the credits for stuff because they didn't want the actors to be known and thus have power um that shifted over time of course but the degree to which that that had to happen involved various moving parts and advocating for yourself for that kind of a thing so I always really am curious about, like, do Andy Bradclare and the rest who are sticking around know how being silent like this reflects poorly on whatever personal brand they've developed over time here? 
and the degree to which that that can create a problem for them going forward. Um, Unless they just stay with Bon Appetit and Condé Nast for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of like the only other thing I can see happening there. Um, The only other thing, and you have this in the show notes, is that they're bringing on a diverse, air quotes, talent. um, New, some new diverse talent, um, to which I go, right, so diverse talent that you can underpay yep because they're new versus the other diverse talent that you had that you refused to pay what they were worth got it understood perfect sense real clear folks um just real good signaling about what your priorities are yeah it i mean i think it's granted this also speaks to the expectations that we put on women versus men um and it's uh-huh. very easy to to blame or like to have a cl- harder closer look at claire than these other people uh, but also yeah. i am more familiar with her videos than the other sure. ones i don't really she's like the big name right yeah um but yeah. claire left because she wasn't getting paid what she thought was right and mm-hmm. then later came back when they agreed to pay her what she thought she was worth. Yes. And right. so when she's not supporting other people Doing trying to thing. do the exact same thing, that's, that's not, again, it's not a, it's not a great look. <laughs> and then yeah. when you layer on, you know, generations of, you know, white feminism and uh, just racial politics in the country on top of all this other stuff, it it's just, it's. It's not good. It's not what you should want when your whole thing is feel good, homemaking, friends and family, workplace environment programming. Right. Like, it's, it's like you could have your own thoughts on the ethics and morality of it. And, you know, they got to, this is their job. This, you know, like, I, at least I know Chris has young kids. Like, other people, like, they're, you know, this is a sure thing. It's hard to walk away from that. There's all sorts of different things right. around that part of it. That, you know, I will have my own thoughts on. But on a branding level, yeah, it's not not a great look. Anyways. it is. It's not a good look at all. So more. And the fact that, like, most of, like, you've lost half of your team and you've lost most of the people of color of your team. You're going to bring in new faces, which means if you want to make a show of diversity, you're going to bring in more people of color. Uh, as opposed to bringing in more white uh, cooks as well, chefs as well. It's just going to, you know, I I don't intend to watch it, but if someone there is trying to, to do the best thing for the brand, they're going to have to work really hard to make it feel like they aren't trying to just do a, you're the new Gabby, you're the new Sola. Yes. And, yeah. I Quick, just... we have to find someone who can temper chocolate for Claire. Yeah. Well, this is just, like, it's the most, one of the most successful and and financially, like, stable parts of the Condé Nast, like, like YouTube video, yeah. you know, stable. So, like, just pay people what they're worth. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Anyways, and I also doubt that when they're talking about, Condé Nast is talking about, like, what is market value what they which is what they offer they're saying they offer contracts that they felt were market values like oh are these the same contracts that 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 brad and claire and alex and chris have oh because they're because that's market value you say so therefore they're getting this contract oh they aren't oh okay well then you can bleep off um so anyways, we'll see. I look forward to following the people who have left. I, I hope they do like a dead spin thing, right? Where the, the, right. Uh, which, what's the name of their new, 
website. The Defectors. The Defectors. Thank you. The Defectors website for for the 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 Deadspin former Deadspin people. Um, I look forward to following that YouTube channel with zeal. So we'll see what happens. Um, Anyways, we had some listener feedback as well this week. Vince is still very much over Lucifer Season 4. I meant to mention this on Streaming in Place, but I forgot, so apologies, Vince. Um, he, he, I don't know if he's continuing to watch or not, though, because uh, he, he was out after the end of the last episode because he assumed that Lucifer uh, killed Julian. And you can see why, because there's yes. no reason to think he didn't. <laughs> yeah, it's a little unclear at the end of Episode 6 what happens. I, I very much fully agree. Um, I yeah. thought he had killed him too. Yeah. Um, so I think Vince is okay there, but Vince, he didn't kill him. He didn't kill him. <laughs> if that, if that impacts any of your decision making, he did not kill him. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, so I, I'm curious if he does, Vince, let us know if you're going to keep watching or not. And if you're going to keep listening to streaming a place just to like follow through that way and find out what happens. Cause that's the kind of thing that I would do <laughs> where I would might stop watching a show, but keep listening to the podcast about it because I'm just curious what happens, but I don't want to have to actually watch it. So anyways, curious what you thought, think about all that Vince. Uh, Drew is now watching the Marble League and blames us. You're welcome, Drew. Yeah, um, no, well, I think you mean. Thanking us, not blaming us. Oh, thank, you, thanking, yes. Yeah, yeah. Drew, Drew, mistyp- Drew didn't type correctly and wanted to thank us and not blame us. <laughs> um, they're rooting for Balls of Chaos and Oceanics, but only on they're only on event four so far. So, okay. like, I, you know, we've got to keep things spoiler-free for them. Uh, but the, quote, bubble bees have become my mortal enemy. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of comments about, uh, several comments about how, it's like, how am I this invested in marbles? And, right? But yet, still. But yet, still, yes. No, it's, it's so weird, right? It's so weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yet we will have our thoughts on the three Marble League events from this week. Next yes. week, there's the final event, which is the marathon and then the closing ceremonies. And mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, but more on that later in the show. For now, we're going to take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our our weekend TV. Brick and mortar, blood and water, going hard, a fire started, freaking nature, minor major, never falter, there's a rumble in the jungle, I ain't running for my life, they say winners never quit, cause how else would I get the prize, need a trophy, yeah I want it, they can't wait to reach the summit, they can't even see it coming, this ain't a threat, it's a promise, I've been flowing like a butterfly, that's word up to my arm, it's time for blowing up atomic, yeah, hey, yeah, that's how you know I'm a fighter, I push through the pain, rise from the flame. That was one of the four, five different uh, jams uh, featured this week on the Stargirl finale. I held back and didn't use Mbop again. I I really enjoyed that choice as the first part of the credits. Be like, yep, we're going back to Mbop full circle, guys. Um, this week in TV, we're going to kick things off with a few thoughts from me on the Perry Mason finale and also Noel. Uh, who has not watched it but has has information on and thoughts on it? Then I will talk briefly about drag Race, about Drag Race Thailand. I finished season one 
Um, and that's it was a very interesting viewing. Uh, that was very interesting viewing for me. Then we'll go to Jelly's Marble Runs, uh, Marble League 2020, The High Jump, Team Aquathlon, and Collision. Before we get to our finale talk with Stargirl, Stars and STRIPE Part 2, and the series finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The End is at Hand and What We're Fighting For. So first up, Perry Mason had a Season 1 finale. And the big thing here, besides, uh, you know, I thought it was a solid finale, all things considered, but there was um, some really satisfying choices and some really um, just mildly grating choices where I'm like, why is this character saying this? Why are they doing this? It doesn't, like, there's one character who has someone killed and then says something to like they're, they're dead and they say something like one a last line to the body like they're like oh i'm i'm sorry i forget the character's name it's like but they're not sorry at all they just had them killed and they didn't like them before they had them killed they had no particularly they were irritated with them before they had them killed uh so why are they apolog- it's like because you feel like there needs to be like a closing cool line and it doesn't make any character sense and they didn't care that it didn't make any character sense because the style was more important than what actually followed for their characters. And that, I think, points to a larger issue with this finale and also the season. So they end with a scene between Mislani and Reese because they cast Mislani and Reese, and they're very good, and they got very few scenes together. And it doesn't really make sense. And some of what they say tracks, and some of it doesn't. And they're just, like, embracing the mystery or like the unresolved like what are their motivations or what do they really think about this situation kind of a thing when there's no like why are they even talking what what is what is happening right now and the fact that you know like if if i get wanting to have a scene between these two actors because they're very good and you know that there's so much potential in them sharing a scene that you haven't taken advantage of all season but then you got to have it build to something, have it make sense. Have there be a reason, you know, like maybe, um, maybe Reese was trying to find her to get her to testify on the stand. And so had been looking for her, hadn't been able to find her. And then, then one of his leads came in, Oh, I found that person. So then he figured at that point, okay, might as well, you know, like there, there, there are different things they could have done to have there be motivation for those two to connect beyond, these are very good actors and we want you to, you know, and we didn't really pay off their chemistry and like the, the things that they might have to say to each other. So it was just, it was, it was frustrating. I know though that other people had much stronger frustrations with this finale, specifically Noel. Uh, what was Twitter all a buzz about? Um, a lot of, especially like folks who watched Perry Mason, OG Perry Mason, um, objected to the whole Perry Mason bribes a juror, mm-hmm. um, which is not how Perry Mason operates. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that is not how Perry Mason operates. Um, but again, it sort of reaffirms for me anyway that this conceptualization of Perry Mason is not Perry Mason. I mean, Perry Mason also wouldn't fake the bar. Yeah, so. and fake the bar exam, right? Or yeah. pass, passing the bar. Um, so I think that there's like, it's just a neo-noir with Perry Mason's name slapped on it, which is what I felt like it was like the three and a half episodes of it I've watched. Um, cause I stalled halfway through episode four. 
um, that it was just they. It was a very lovingly craft, expensive looking neo noir. Not even a neo noir, just a straight up noir. Um, that just they put Perry Mason in it for some reason because Robert Downey Jr. likes Perry Mason. I don't know because they um, had the property and there's they figured there's value in the name, but but then you when you don't do anything with the name that harkens back to that name, then what was What's the value of the name then? It sort of becomes like the same thing with like this, um, whatchamacallit, uh, drama version of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air that's getting shopped around right now and developed um, based on a fan trailer um, that's being shopped around right now. Um, And it's been in production for, has been in pre-production, that kind of stuff for over a year. Um, That it's like, what's the value add basically? Or what's, what new thing are you illuminating? Um, and I don't know that, again, based on the episodes I watched, and you can speak to this more than I can, a little, probably, maybe, is what's, what do, what do we learn about Perry Mason in some way, shape, or form that we didn't already know? Um, in part, this is an easy question to answer because we don't know anything about Perry mm-hmm. Mason. He, he doesn't have a backstory. And giving him this sad, tragic backstory doesn't add anything, does it? No, does it? Don't forget his absentee fatherhood and like yeah. loose uh, connection to ethics. Um, yeah, which I don't think personally. I don't think you add anything for, from it. I mean, the, there is the fun of oh look, he's getting the gang to, together. By the end of the season, you've got him having an office with Della, with their PI who who starts out as a cop on the show um, in this in the first season and becomes disillusioned with policing and specifically the, the situation in at that, at the LA police force. Um, and situation and, with the LA police force. I yeah. know. Hmm. Such a bold statement, right? <laughs> um, anyways, the, uh, but watching the like watching the pieces move around can be really fun when you again it's the thing of you know where it's going to end so then you can watch how they dance with it but i don't think that the benefits of that outweigh the the mental um uh, dis- re- uh dissonance you know cognitive dissonance between but that's not perry mason why is but what but what but why why does he have a wife and kid he doesn't need to have a wife and kid like it doesn't benefit anything for him to have a failed marriage and a kid he doesn't see enough and you know a family farm that he then loses um and like like, like why why all of this just make a different character um so you know We'll see. But I do think, like, the show that it sets up for season two is one that I'm much more interested in. And they had a lot of fun in the finale by starting with a Perry gets the guy on the stand and gets the guy to confess. And then revealing that it's them prepping for trial. And and Hamilton Berger going, like, no one confesses on the stand. It doesn't work. Here's here all. Like, the judge would have not ruled in your favor on this. And they, the guy was not going to talk. He's smart enough to do this. He's not going to talk. So, like, they... they it was a good way and a fun way of having your cake and eating it too. It was enough time to be just really satisfying for people who appreciate the Perry Mason, like get them to turn on the witness stand thing. Um, but not so long that it destroyed the momentum and the, the expectations for like what the, what the finale needed, you know? So there was some fun stuff throughout the season and like, that's another good example of it, but I'm ultimately more interested in what season two could be than what season one actually has been so yeah and that's fair and i think that 
Matthew Matthew Rees is charismatic enough. Like it's I, that's an understatement, of course, to say that he's charismatic enough. Um, but that the a version of this that is him as a lawyer as opposed to a private eye who fakes becoming a lawyer um, <laughs> presents something I think more interesting to me. But again. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if I want to watch that either. Um, I really, Kate, I really want Matthew Reese to do a project that I want to watch. <laughs> please, please help Noel out. Um, our next show here is Drag Race Thailand, uh, which aired back in like 2018. Um, there are two seasons. The first season has eight episodes. The second season, I want to say, has like 10 or 13. Because uh, okay. the first season has 10 queens. The second season has... I think 13 queens. And then depending on how, like, do they have a top three? Do they have a top four? Does somebody get eliminated and come back? Is there a double save? Like, that can affect the number of episodes. Um, so I'm not sure about that for season two. But season one was, a, like, a, just it was a hoot. It was super fun. It is um, subtitled, not dubbed. There's not a dub. Which means that, you know, where, whereas Drag Race is often, for me, like, a sort of background show if I'm not writing about it, you know? Obviously, if I'm writing about it, I'm paying very close attention. But it's the kind of show where I can be doing some other, like, low brain activity work and then just kind of, like, when they get to the challenge performance or the runway or something or the lip sync, I can, like, zone back in and, you know, the rest of the time it can be, like, you know, something that I'm glancing at and then looking at the dishes and then glancing back at the kind of thing. And obviously I can't do that when I need, when I need to read the subtitles. you got to really be focused. But fortunately for me, it really rewarded that. It was super fun. These queens are very talented. The, the It's a different energy, just a bit. Um, there's very much a sense of who this person wins the mini challenge, this person wins the maxi challenge, who wins, who's going to win the runway. Um, and, and like, so like there, it felt much more discreet of like three chunks as opposed to the maxi challenge and runway being basically one thing. So that was interesting at times. Uh, these queens turned it on the runway. The very first runway is three in one, which listeners who don't, if you don't watch Drag Race very much, All-Stars 5 did a three-in-one runway. And it was a mixed bag. Some of it was okay. Some of it was like, oh, I don't know if that counts as three-in-one. Yeah. Um, and a couple people looked great. Um, but for this three-in-one for Drag Race Thailand, as their very first runway, they had to make one of their costumes from a box that they were given, right? So, like, they already had, a, you know, pre-existing garments to be the second and third, but they had, sorry, the, the like, yeah, the second and third looks, but they had to incorporate pieces from this box for their first look. And that is just so much more interesting and so much harder <laughs> than what the All-Stars queens had to do. Um, and it really was like, it kicked down the front door, we're here, and we know what we're doing. I, I, Ultimately, I would have given season one to somebody else. I don't think the right person won, but I do think that the top three were all fabulous. They all did a good job in the finale, and um, it, there were some really good lip syncs. The, the, my favorite lip sync of the season was a three-person lip sync to Britney Spears' uh, Toxic, um, which is just such a great song. Uh, and they crushed it. It was very, very good. So if you are looking for more drag race in your life, I know the Vegas review... 
show documentary series uh, starts next week, next Friday. But if you're looking for more competitive drag race and you have not sought out Drag Race Thailand, uh, check it out. See if you can you find it. It's on Wild Presents Plus on YouTube. Um, you can also find it other places. Um, but it, it is it is worth your time if you're a fan of the show. I'm going to watch season two, and then um, we'll see if I make it over to, like, Dragula or something, or some of the other, you know, shows not by World of Wonder or not by from the Draggers brand, but are similar kind of things. Or I may just, mm-hmm. like, find something else to to scratch that itch after I finish season two of Draggers Thailand. But considering I'm caught up on... Canada's Drag Race, and I feel like in the next few weeks I'll be caught up on Drag Race Thailand. I feel more, like, solid in my assessment of where the various brands lie. The hosting is really good on Drag Race Thailand as well. There's two hosts, both of whom are, are uh, drag queens, and they do a wonderful job. And then they bring guest guest judges as well every episode. So, they do, you know, it's, it's really fun. It's a very energetic and really fun show, so... Highly recommended. Um, over in YouTube land, we had Jelly's Marble Runs, uh, Marble League 2020, High Jump, Team Aquathlon, and Collision. Unfortunately, your Minty Maniacs have been locked out of the potential win, but they can still make the podium. They can still have a final second or third place finish. Um, Arrangers are still in it. We're in second place right now. But if we have another showing like we did in Collision, we won't. We'll get knocked down to fourth. So... Anything, you know, I say anything could still happen. Anything couldn't still happen mathematically. But for our teams, a lot could still happen. What did you think of these three events? What was your favorite? What was your least favorite? Um, Well, favorite is Collision. I love Collision. It's sort of like the big highlight of any Marvel League uh, because it's just, it's arguably the most chaotic. And I know you have thoughts about this, so we'll circle to that in a second. Um, So I really enjoy Collision. Um... The team Aquathlon is not good. It's um, bad. It's, it's bad, in fact. It's very boring to watch. Um, there just wasn't anything there. Um, it felt too much like the earlier um, water-based um, race that there was nothing else really added to it. So it was just kind of meh. Um, the high jump, I think, is exciting, but it just goes on too long. Like, it's so long. Um and also the Minty Maniacs went out so quickly and then the Orangers were just like, yeah, we're just going to keep going over this bar constantly. And it's just like, oh God, no, we get it. We get it. You're <laughs> so good. Um, but it's it's just a little too long, basically. I looked at the 20 minute runtime for the high jump and went, how? Why? Um, but it's still, it's still kind of exciting and fun to watch like the physics of that and try to figure out well, why did you end up just going under the bar how did that happen and that kind of stuff so i think that there's a lot of like fun sciencey stuff in high jump but as like a television televisual experience it's kind of meh um so that's kind of where i ended up falling um on all three of those um tell me about um high jump and aquathlon before we get to your thoughts on collision um, well, I think the apparently this is new for high jump this this time. Yes. Um, the having there be like you're gonna try for the next like three or four um, heights, and then we're gonna switch teams. So apparently previously they did one team all the way up until they fa- failed, and then you would um, see what their 
top height was and then go to the next team, right? And what they did this time instead was just, like, move it up three notches, next team. That's the first round. You made the first round. That kind of thing. Which is a much, much better way to run it. But then it also means it takes longer because there's more switching back and forth. And I would take this structure over the previous structure, even if it means it takes longer, any day of the week. Because then it's much more, wait, who's still in it? I do think that... It is repetitive um, with this many teams. I think if you had a if you had like a ten team league or something versus a sixteen yeah. team league, then this that would work the best, you know. But when it's yes, sixteen, it's sort of like a wait. How many are we at now? What's going like? How many are still left to go? Um, so it is. It does get a little old. But I for me, allowing the second try at each of them, especially when you got to the higher things, it really upped the the drama. And yes, that made it a lot more fun. So I actually really enjoyed the high jump so much more than I expected to because I got burned by the long jump. Um, the team, the team, I was so excited for the long jump. And then it was just nothing. It was just nothing. Um, the team Quathlon is stupid. And th- I expect better from, I mean, like, good for them for trying out new things. I think that's great. Keep, I hope they keep, you know, trying new ideas. But they needed something else besides, like, when you say athlon, that means at least a duathlon, right? <laughs> at least yeah. two different, and the notion of, oh, they're going to have at least two different water-based elements. Oh, that's exciting and interesting. And then it isn't that. And it's just like, oh, oh, they're just going to roll down a thing and then go into water and keep rolling. Oh, that's not interesting at all. <laughs> you couldn't see what was happening well enough. I know that they were having some fun with the reflections, right? So it looked like you could see two of them. But for me, that just got to be hard to follow. It wasn't that uh-huh. interesting. And uh, I think it needed... It was just so repetitive. You couldn't, like... There wasn't enough time in the first part to really build up a lead or, like, some different like strategies, you know, if they as they are building these narratives for these marbles, um, to have that then Im- impacted by the water. It was just basically they fell slightly earlier, slightly later into the water. Then that completely crashed their momentum. They all plopped down together. You couldn't tell, like, because it was a team thing, it wasn't even like, there are 10 marbles. Watch what happens to the disperse. It just was like, there's two teams. You can't tell if, like, the person who was first, the marble that was first on the given team, was still first after they went into the water. At least I couldn't tell, because I can't tell the difference between the marbles. So, like, I mean, maybe with Balls of Chaos or with Crazy Cat's Eyes you could, but a lot of these, I'm not going to be able to tell the difference. It just was hard to follow. It wasn't that interesting. Um, and it was, for me, the 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 letdown based on the promise of the the name of the event, was the most uh, stark, I think, of the whole Marble League. And that's including that long jump I was so burned by. Um, that takes us to the collision. And I think I like collision in theory. Sure. But I think it needs some tweaks. Because this collision was way too long for me. Like, the, the event was way too long. And for me, that was because each... Like... Almost immediately, you knew who had won each uh, head-to-head, each heat. But then you had to wait for every marble to come to a complete stop, and then maybe it would bump a one of the traps, and then you had to wait for that marble to... And sometimes it did matter, yes. but then you had to wait for that to go... Most of the time, it didn't. And then you just have to keep waiting for that one to come to a complete stop. And like, now we're finally done. And they also, I thought, did way too much replay on the collision. Yes. Yeah. Like they, I think, like on high jump, they they did it quite a bit too. Yes. And on the aquathlon as well. But on collision, I was like, 
I already could see very clearly what was happening. Why are you replaying the entire thing again? Um, so for me, like, I like the event. I like, like, we talked previously off air, that they have the fidget spinner collision, and that's too chaotic, in my opinion. It's too, like, that's too far on the other end of the spectrum. But I liked these traps that they were doing, but why not just have them be triggered by something earlier so that before things about all stop, it's not like every most of the marbles are sort of stopped moving and then a trap gets tripped. It's like as soon as like slightly after they 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 scatter, they hit, they scatter, and then while they're still like you're still trying to keep track of what's going on, that's when the ball bearings come in. For me, that would have been a much more interesting viewing experience. Or just don't do the traps. That's sort of how I feel about it. What, what do you think? I mean, and and granted, my arrangers went out and went out quick, and they were they were like the first team up, and they got last place. So like, I was, but I was, I felt like I was still pretty involved because I was rooting hard against the Savage Speeders. I was rooting for your Minty Maniacs so hard I that. In, in that in that head to head, and I was very happy for 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 you that both the Hazers and the Minty Maniacs did so well. Um, but I still was just like, can, like, oh, I won't let myself fast forward, but I really want to. Yeah. So I think that there is too much replay happening right now um, across the board for all the events. Um, and I'm not quite sure why they're padding that much. I know that there's, like, the appreciation for it within sports, especially within the Olympics, which can get very replay happy. However, <laughs> the replays are there to fill time between live events being scored. That's the reason why there are so many replays in the Olympics. It's not necessary with a pre-taped event <laughs> with marbles. Um, so I think that that is a padding problem and an editing problem that should hopefully be remedied come 2021. Um, but with everything else, I think, in Collision, like I kind of like that. Yes, you do have a rough sense of who won that you can pretty be accurate about. Um, but you just you just never know sometimes. Like, I've watched previous collisions where you're, like, right on the edge, and then you just fall over, um, and it just murders you. And so that tension <laughs> is really, really great. And there are a number of, like, traps in this one. There are probably more traps in this collision than there have been in previous iterations of it. Um which ups the ante a little bit if everything goes right. Um, but like you said, just based on where everyone fell, it didn't really impact things too much here, um, which makes it less exciting. Um, I hear where you're coming from. Um, just, I, I still love Collision. Yeah. I also thought it was pretty repetitive. I, I felt like most of the breaks, most of the collisions broke the same way and had a very similar dispersion like right of where the marbles went and roughly how many like certain teams did better than other teams and i'm taking that down to like the composition of the marbles and the way they rotate and how they carry weight and stuff like so so, like the speeders did really well i was just like how are they keeping so many on like every single time um but uh and that part actually is really much more interesting to me the physics of it all but after a while because there're just so many heats um, which I get 
the I think maybe it had more to do with the structure of having four groups of four and they each match each other. And then the, those two, you know, so maybe it was the tournament style. I don't know how you'd work around that, though. Yeah. I don't know another way that you could do it. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And actually, that wanting more attention was my problem with it because at the, especially at the beginning, there's no, there's just no tension. And then it's, if it's close, does a trap get triggered? And then, or like, is there that one marble teetering right at the edge? Right. Which can yes. make for very exciting marble racing. Um, so it's interesting that for, that for you is it's more fun and more exciting because there is that tension. And for me, I want more tension and that's why it was frustrating. So it just, you know, I, I think it just depends on, the specifics of each, uh, of each collision, you know, and which, you know, so I, that also speaks to, I'm sure my experience being like, my team's out, let's get, let's go, let's move, let's move, let's move, <laughs> you know? Uh, so yeah. Interesting. Uh, the marathon is last. I like that the marathon is last. Are you excited yeah. for this? I am. I'm very excited for the marathon. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And then we'll see what they do for the closing ceremonies. Uh, but speaking of closing ceremonies, let's head to our last two episodes. So Stargirl had its season one finale. Stars and S-T-R-I-P-E, Stripe, part two. And how did you think that they closed things off? Pretty well, I think. Um, I think there is... They very much wanted like a really clean break, basically, of this is the end of season one. We'll have a couple of elements hanging out for season two that we can tease if we don't get picked up again, if we do get picked up again. Um, but I think that as a whole, I think there's generally, it's a pretty satisfying conclusion. Um, but I think both on a plot level and on a character level, there's probably a little too much too many like teases for a second season in this episode um between the really ham-fisted yolanda we don't kill people and then yolanda slashes brainwave's throat um that 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 feels like something we need to deal with but we also need, need to deal with mike killing icicle i feel like that's something that we also just don't address in this <laughs> it's christmas mm-hmm. Don't think about it. Don't overthink right. it. Right, yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. that, but it's still a really entertaining show. So the fight sequence in um, Dragon King's Lair, I think is pretty exciting. Um, again, the show just does so well by Cindy, where she's like monstering her way out with like hand wrapped around the door before she like comes out. And just all this really good stuff with Cindy that I actively like. And I'm, very excited to see what they do with Cindy in season two. Um, with Eclipso, who's boring, but sure, fine, let's do Eclipso. Um, I'm much more interested in the big bad that they actually tease that I'm excited about, because I love that character. Um, so, yeah, I think overall it's pretty solid. Um, I don't know what to do with the um, Sylvester Pemberton, Pemberton tease there, but I also... I'm not going to say no to more Joel McHale on this show. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, overall, though, solid. Um, and I'm eager to see, I'm eager for season two. How did you feel about this? And we can also dive into some of the nittier, grittier stuff. Um, I There's a lot that I really liked here. For me, the lingering stuff was um, like, are we just not talking about Icicle's cute son who was the potential love interest? Yeah, right? just... Like, 
Just like, don't think about that. <laughs> that character's been so underdeveloped, I literally forgot about him until you just mentioned him. Just well, because like, now he's presumably being raised by his crazy grandparents. Yes. Or crazy is, is dismissive. His evil, evil. scheming grandparents. Um, which is not not a good thing. Um, I actually really liked the decisions with Icicle and Brainwave to kill them off. Yes. Uh, I thought that that was very smart, especially Brainwave. The show does not work with Brainwave. He's too powerful. And and so to and to just to the I thought they really sold it. I thought they were playing with like that. Well, you didn't see a body for Henry before, so that like that tracks like it's the I some segment of the audience is expecting Henry's not really dead, right? Um, so to take advantage of that was smart. Having it pivot on your versus our our or my you know like friends, I think is is good. They played it just they egged it just enough. And um, I also really liked that it's not even like she was trying to kill him necessarily. She was just she was just like attacking, but that's all it takes. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe I maybe I mean, you might disagree. Some people might think she you know I could see how you could read that as well. But for me, it was just she's just attacking, and it, when you have claws and you attack someone in the in the face and and the neck area, it's easy to slice like she's got razor sharp claws. It's easy to kill someone with razor sharp claws. If you catch them with their guard down, even if you didn't intend to do so, especially since she's so new. Um, so I thought that that was really just a really effective and appropriate, like subversion or like an under undersell, right? Just really done very well. Uh, I liked that again, they went the comedy route for icicle with Mike. Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit cheap and I assume that there will be more with that. Because the show has, I think, earned enough of my trust for that. Um, that either they will, like, mention it and be like, yeah, no, he doesn't have any trauma about that. He, like, Icicle was about to try to kill his family, so he shouldn't have trauma about that. Um, but, or they, or that they will, you know, reflect on it later. Uh, I liked the payoff of the coffee cup. I thought that was good. Uh, I have many questions about where are these other kids families right i, I mean i guess for beth's parents to show up at that christmas party because they're missing their daughter <laughs> like they like if they have a good relationship with her yolanda's family you know are trash we know they're not trash they are struggling with a bunch of ingrained and uh sexism and misogyny that they are perpetrating uh rick's uncle is trash yes uh but but Beth's parents aren't, no, so come on. They should, they should have been to that Christmas party, and I was very upset that they were not. I was like, maybe is Beth like is Beth Jewish or, or or agnostic or atheist or something? So her family doesn't celebrate Christmas or something. Like, yeah. like you know, Yolanda's family didn't would not be okay with her celebrating actual Christmas at someone else's house. Like yes. they're very like like I don't buy that. So like there was some question marks there for me, but I thought the rest of it was was nice. I liked the um, it's such a good line of like I'm here to defend my wife with what weapon? Our daughter. It was it's just such a good yeah. She I'm I'm the distraction. <laughs> Yeah. She's a superhero. <laughs> My robot got destroyed by Solomon Grundy, so uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I thought that that was all very well done. It was it was the right tone, I thought, in general. Um, yeah. Do you, Any thoughts on that part? I mean, we got to talk about Solomon Grundy, too. Right. Well, let's talk about Solomon. Um, so I really like this, that they went more zombie for Solomon than Frankenstein's monster, which is the more common sort of approach to doing Solomon. 
Um, so his flesh is kind of like eaten away at. Um, there's lots of black blood, but he also has that really stylish emo haircut. Uh, <laughs> so I really liked um, their depiction of Solomon. I thought it worked really, really well um, in, on a visual aesthetic level. Um, everything else... Like, the only way to stop Solomon, really, and my partner and I were talking about this, is to make friends with Solomon Grundy. That's the only way to stop Solomon Grundy, is to make friends with Solomon Grundy. Um, Because he's just this undead force of nature um, that even Superman struggles with because he's magic. Um, And Superman doesn't do magic. So I think that there's... The way in which that we do this by doing sort of a Hulk thing with Rick... And um, with um, Solomon generally works okay. I don't need them to bring him back, though. Like, there's no reason to bring Solomon Grundy back, I feel like. Um, again, because he's always, he's always the cat's paw in something. And I don't, I don't need that, especially with given the kind of I give up, I yield sort of thing that Solomon does there. Um, so I'm hoping that we just let Solomon be and he goes and lives out his life in like the Rocky Mountains or something um, such as it is because um, we've got enough set up of villains between Gambler getting away um, Cindy with Eclipso and The Shade as well um, we've got like three sol- four solid like villain setups that we don't need anything else to do um, so- not to mention some legacies running around right exactly you think any Music Meister with the tuba I mean, that would be hilarious. That would just be better than the Fiddler. Yes, it would be better than Fiddler. Um, Plus, I mean, like, I assume Sportsmaster and um, Tiger's are dead. Um, Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. Like, there's plenty of room for them to start, like, playing around with stuff. Um, Yeah, so how did you feel about Solomon? I thought that it more or less worked. I saw some people frustrated that Rick was able to take him down. But I think, uh, in, like, in general, that the whole ISA went down too easy. But I, that, I didn't have trouble with that for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, as far as I was concerned, Stripe did a lot of damage to Solomon, which is why Rick was able to overpower him at the end. Not by his, on his own, but because Stripe had been really beating the crap out of him earlier. They had both been destroying each other. Um, Also, I I really connected Solomon Grundy's state, right, to the overall success of the ISA. So back in the, the, like, the instigating event, right, the big fight at the start of the series, however many years earlier, um, Solomon Grundy was in top form and a cohesive part of the team. And here he's a wrecking ball, that's in the like in the middle of everything else. Um, not to mention um, some of the other some of the team members have already been like they took out themselves, right? They took out the wizard themselves. They took out the fiddler themselves. So of course they're already going into things fractured and weakened. Um, so I can buy this new young JSA managing to like at least hold steady and and like Brainwave took himself out because he underestimated them. He got he was too clever for his own good. <laughs> Yeah, he just he he underestimated Yolanda and assumed that uh you know it, it, he's got he, he caught himself monologuing when he yeah. should have been doing a psychic attack, you know. Um so I thought that the the writers actually did a good job of explaining how our team could potentially win. 
Um, did you feel the loss of Chuck, or are you are you not too concerned? I'm not too concerned. I mean, I'm not too, too concerned, but I am very sad about it. Um, because I thought that, that was a really good dynamic that they had established, and that that actor in particular who plays Beth does a really great job of talking to herself. Um, and it works really, really well. And so I, I'm hoping that they are able to repair him and yeah. get him back up and running um, for season two because they're going to need him. Yes, they will. And I think it's also a convenient way to keep them from knowing too much too yes. soon uh, in the start of next season. So I think that's smart. Uh, I'm not worried about Chuck because Chuck is still backed up in the, should be backed up in a server. In right? theory, yeah. But you still have to repair the glasses. So. You got to repair the glasses. Um, in my head, they're going to have that pen come into play and they're going to get some wishes. So that's Maybe. an easy way yeah. to repair the glasses is what I'm thinking. But who knows what they're going to do. I'm not, I, I, I would be surprised, let me just say, if they didn't repair the glasses by at least the midway point of next season. Um and or have a different way for Beth to communicate with Chuck. Um, but we'll see. If that truly was the end of Chuck, I would be upset. Because the Chuck and Beth energy and dynamic is super fun. And like you said, the actor who plays Beth does a great job talking to herself. It's a it's a delightful twist on, like, the tech. Like, so, like they've explained how, how are these young kids fighting. Like, Yolanda's been training as a boxer for a while, and Rick gets superpowers. Yeah. Um, and Courtney's a gymnast. Courtney's a gymnast, and she's got a magic staff, right? Or cosmic staff. But the point remains, um, how does this person know how to hack and do all this tech stuff that takes years and years of training to do? Oh, they don't. They've got a friend, a computer, who, who you know, does it for them, and they can communicate with them well through, you know, various social, you know, skills. That makes a lot more sense to me. Um, so instead of having a, a genius kid hacker swing into town, I you know, I, I think they're going to maintain the dynamic they have now. That's my guess. So yeah, we'll that see. Makes sense. Uh, any other thoughts? What do you think about Justin heading out to find his horse? Yeah, no, I think going to find Winged Victory is a good call. Um, mm -hmm. I think Justin, well, I kind of like Shining Knight. Um, their version of Justin as he is now is too much on a slightly sadder show. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um then that so that he can't kind of stick around in his current mental state and emotional state and it not feel a little weird i think so i think him going off to find winged victory is a good call but it also then allows them to bring in the other members of that organization that he and pat were in originally so we can get vigilante we can get a couple of other folks to come in and show up to fight Shade, whatever team Shade develops um, going forward. Or the Shade, I guess, is how I should properly refer to him as. <laughs> yeah, get that title right. Um, yeah, I think it's a good call. I liked what we got with Justin. I liked what we got with Shining Knight. I look forward to Shining Knight coming back later. Yes. With more time to like examine and hopefully find more of his memories and uh, hopefully having found Winged Victory. Um, so... I mean, we'll see. But yeah. I, I thought that, you know, the fight was super fun. Having uh, Cindy killed dear old dad, for now maybe, who knows? I, I would be surprised if that was the last we saw of, of Ido, um, of Dragon King. But 
I thought that was a good way to go with that. And I'm looking forward to what's going to, you know, what, what could come next with that portion mm-hmm. of their universe. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts or is it time for shield? Yeah, no, let's talk, let's talk about shield and Deke. Sure. And Deke. Yeah. Um, okay. So I can't, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Cause I was like, for how long he has been on the show, which is quite a while at yes. this point. It's two seasons. Yeah. Does not get enough respect. Um, I, see, I love that the show has a character that the other characters just don't seem to like. Like I kind of actively like that on this kind of a show where everyone's okay. a family and Deke. Um, I think that there's something weirdly charming about that, even if, again, Deke doesn't get the respect he deserves. I fully agree with you. But I do like that literally the only person who likes him is Mac. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the fact that neither Fitz nor Simmons has an issue with leaving, abandoning their future grandson in a different timeline. Yeah. Not for a second do they have a problem with that is, is strange and to me, it's very strange. Um, needing, I mean, and the fact that they, it just felt very much like a, well, we want to do this ominous portent that, like, this is the last time the whole team will be together thing, and this is how we'll work around that. Um, I just thought that was, again, I talked about this earlier, but it's over-egging the sauce. Like, you don't, we know it's the finale. We know you want to make a big deal about it. We know you want to be very explicit. Don't try to bring us back, ABC. Um, but... I just thought it was a bit much. But maybe do a spinoff with Deke and these new agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? At least they made him, like, really find himself in the 80s. Yes. Like, yes, it was kind of like, can't he just go out on a more positive note? But it was so funny that I'm okay with that. Are you in charge now? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I am in charge. Also a rock god. Random agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Why are you asking him if he's in charge? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But that's okay because it was funny. Yes. Um, yeah. The the I thought that they overplayed or over um, foreshadowed the reveal with uh, Isla or Alia, the kid, and and that that really hurt it. So it did not. It's like we know what it is. We know it's so clear what it is. It's very clear. Okay. We're going to keep pretending we don't know what it is for the next hour and a half before we do the reveal. <sighs> okay. And the fact that she doesn't look like them either doesn't help. But um, I, I, it was more the concept of it. And we get it. They're a family. And that's the whole thing. You know, they're family. But they needed to make us care about Korra if they really wanted that theme to resonate. Why did it matter that they needed Korra? Why did they need Korra? Why can Korra suddenly bring people back to life? Why is that, like... There are so many things like that. Because her energy is so powerful. Yeah, no. Um, Korra oh, as a plot device is deeply frustrating in both of these episodes. Of She can power the thing so May's empathic abilities can wash over the planet. Which, I still love that empathy was the answer. However... Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, um, it was dumb. It, it was it was very stupid. <laughs> but I still had fun with this finale. I thought they did overall. They did a good job. I thought you know using the quantum realm 
to send them to a different timeline, back or back to the original timeline, was was fun. Uh, I I thought like like the the reveal that oh no this whole like we need to jump and save the time was all bullshit. Then they destroyed this timeline with their meddling in the timeline, uh, and they don't care. There was just a way to fill time so that they could be they could survive long enough that they could jump back. Was like it's so shitty. It's terrible. These are our heroes? They get an appropriate reaction from that of like, why did you put us all through this? Because we needed you to get Korra. <laughs> yeah, and then it didn't matter that they had, like, yeah. then it was, oh god, it was so dumb. I I do appreciate <sighs> that they ended up doing, like, their version of Endgame, however, um, through this, of like, alright, we're gonna do back to the past type of stuff, do our greatest hits, um, or shield history greatest hits, and then we're going to have Fitz be Doctor Strange, who saw all the timelines and then found the one that worked. Um, but then they still screwed it up <laughs> um, because it's Agents of Shield. Um, so I think that overall, I think it's a really good finale. I like got teared up at like various points, like Kate. The thing that arguably hit me the hardest was not their final goodbye meeting or anything like that or, you know, whatever other thing that kind of hit you hardest. The thing that hit me the hardest was Piper asking, I presume, for an LMD Davis. Yeah. And I just got so teared up when I saw Davis driving that car. I just went, that's what she asked for? Is Davis back? And I just got <laughs> so choked up that Davis was back. <laughs> and I'm just like... that. And I was also legitimately excited to see Piper again, because I love Piper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then Davis... And was, Flint, it was fun, yeah. you know. But Davis being back, I just went, yes! I was just so happy and sad at the same time. Because um, Davis did not deserve to go out the way that he, he did. He did not! No, Davis never deserved to go out, so... I think all in all, like, I was generally really happy with this finale. Yeah, there's plenty of things to critique about it in terms of the core of it all is too much of a narrative linchpin. But I think everything else works really well. And I really, the other thing I really liked was the fact that they ultimately did really well by Sousa, that I felt generally pretty happy with that as well. Um, Especially considering he was not their character. And they... I think made him both fit this version of shield that he was operating in and then gave him an arc within the entire thing and found a way to tie it into Daisy that I think worked also well. So I ended up being pretty happy with everything. The one thing, the one thing that I got very excited about and then was very disappointed about was when they were doing the round, the the everyone's there for the, like the one year one year reunion type thing, and May's like, "I've got a group and everything." I just went, oh, "Did she become a therapist like her ex husband?" Oh no, she's a teacher. <laughs> oh, that's great. I would have preferred she become a therapist like her ex. I assume that she was as well. Like that that it all would have made sense given her empathic ability. Um, Blair, Blair, that was Blair Underwood, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have all made sense. And then it wasn't the case. And I just went, you guys, it was right there. It's right 
there. <laughs> I don't know. In my in my head canon, that is part of what she does. Yeah. That she she's at she's is her she's lecturing that day. But she didn't say it was her class, right? She said I'm speaking or something. I think it was implied that it was her class. Um okay. but I don't know, but either way, um it's just like it was right there. <laughs> I do like that Mac is basically new fury. Yes. Which is correct. That's pretty great. Which is correct. Yeah. He's a much better director than Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, they should not have all... I know they needed to have more visually interesting places for them to take off their, like, projector chip things. But, like, you are you wandering around a helicarrier in the middle of the sky and talking to people and just, like, you could just walk... You can't see where you actually are, so you could just walk off the edge of it. And not real, like what is happening? Like who is watching the grand? Who who is watching the baby? Who is watching the kid? You know, while they're both not in the garden. Like, well, come on, the, it's the ultimate Zoom meeting. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess, but still, they're outside. They're not in their home. They're you know with the kid in the playpen or whatever. They're they're you know which would be. She's too old for that. But the point being, she could just wander off out of the garden into the street and get hit by a bus, and they wouldn't know. I was just, oh, God. Anyways. Um, the other thing that I really think this season did not execute as well as the show and the actor deserved is they did not execute uh, Coulson's uh, journey to acceptance yes. of life as an LMD anywhere near the what the show, like what I expect from this show with that kind of storyline and what Clark Gregg is capable of um, based on where we were in the time loop episode. And the fact that it was just a few episodes ago, they just left hard left turned. They didn't earn it. And um, that was the one part that was really unsatisfying. So, you know, we'll see what happens next, but, and also after making such a deal about May and Colson going off into the sunset to have them not, Feels a bit strange. Yeah, but, but they already did that. They already went off into the sunset. Yeah. And I think that both of them... And th- that is one thing I do like about this finale, is that they both acknowledge that they're very different now, each of them. Yeah. Um, and that they what, they... what they had isn't possible anymore. Like, they had it. It's done. Um, yeah, see, but for me, they should at least be, like, working together in the same she's building. She's teaching at the Colson Academy. I don't know what more you want. What? Well, what is he doing again? And why is he not? Because she's going to send somebody, some people to him. Yeah. But, anyways. Yeah. It's called the Colson Academy. Maybe Colson should be there is all I'm saying. <laughs> anyways. Not that I'm bitter. Yeah. Not that this little shipper heart is bitter. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts on S.H.I.E.L.D.? So I think that this also marks just like a really sad sort of point within like a transmedia sort of approach of like, this is the end of Marvel television as we originally knew it. Um, so it's the final swan song of everything that was done prior to the reorg of Marvel television under uh, Feig's direction. Um, Apparently there's still Hellstrom is the last one. Which is getting dropped soon. That's animated. Yeah, it doesn't count. <laughs> doesn't count? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't count. Um, so, like, it, it feel, this feels more of a piece of, like, the Netflix stuff and that kind of a thing. So, and then Cloak and Dagger and Runaways. Um, oh God, pour one out for Cloak and Dagger. Um, 
Yeah, that I've, I'm really curious to see, at least in regards to Coulson, since he's a canon immigrant um, that still technically would exist if he will continue to pop up or if he's just done done. Because, again, the cinematic universe in and of itself is taking like a turn um, away from S.H.I.E.L.D. and away from that more grounded type of approach to do more cosmic stuff. Um, but I mean, Fury could still call him up and he can be on that satellite if he wants. But then do you explain that he's still alive and that now he's an LMD? And like, how do you explain that within the confines of the movies? Or do you just pretend Clark Gregg doesn't exist anymore? Or do you just pretend he's human? Yeah. <laughs> and just assume they've like, like, didn't you die? I got better. Yeah, I got better. Move. You know move what happened to me, Nick. <laughs> you did it. um yeah yeah it it is you know i was reflecting back on that i was like where how would i rank the various marvel tv shows Mm -hmm. throughout their run and i do think that agents of shield while at various points has been one of the ones i was least interested to keep up with it is the one that lasted the longest it's the one that i stayed with the longest and kept returning to um and ultimately was a really satisfying show after like a week start and then a couple dips throughout the course of the run they end ultimately made it a very satisfying week-to-week show and certainly while it doesn't for me approach the heights of the the other series, like the the real heights of like Jessica Jones season one and Luke Cage, um, it's average, right? It, like it is much 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 stronger than, in my opinion, like even Daredevil, even uh, Punisher, um, even uh, like Runaways and um, and just like all of them, even Clo- Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger has some more interesting ideas, but yes. um, as an like as far as which is the better overall show i would i would give it to shield um so it it really is quite an achievement what they managed to do and i mean i know i come back to this a lot with shield but i do think it is a significant thing the the diversity of the show Uh of the cast of the types of superheroes of the um of, of the backgrounds and the um the way that they build them in together I, th- I think that that's a really significant thing um and something definitely worth taking a moment to mention as we reflect back on the series as a whole yeah i think that diversity um thing is important and that they also made sure to like incorporate cultural aspects of these characters within their like stories and within their characterizations that i think made a big difference in that kind of representation. So I think that was important. Yeah. Um, so, listeners, if you have thoughts on S.H.I.E.L.D. and the run of S.H.I.E.L.D., favorite episodes, favorite characters, any of that good stuff, please do reach out. It's Agents of Hydra. That's the best part of the show. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Um, and just also just being like, eh, they jumped through a rock. Don't worry about it. Now they're in space. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I appreciate, you know, very, it's very legends. We're very on board with that here at the Televerse. Um, yeah, it was, it was fun. Well, do, what was your week in TV this week then? Um, I think it's the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale. Um, it's going to start being real difficult to pick something to win my week in TV, Kate. Um, uh, but yeah, it's the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale. Um, I bet I know yours, but why don't you tell me what it is? Uh, yeah, I will give it to, uh, I mean, nod to the S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, but I also really liked Drag Race Thailand, mm-hmm. um, so season one. So I I probably had like I was the most eagerly anticipating the Shield finale, and I think finales are hard. They more yes. or less nailed it. 
um, despite all of my gripes. <laughs> They're loving gripes. So I will, I will give it to S.H.I.E.L.D., but it's probably really Drag Race style in season one, but let's give some love to a long-running show that went out uh, in style. Yeah. So that will wrap up our Weekend TV. Now we'll take a break, listen to the trailer for the other two, season one, and be right back after this. Give it up for Chase Dreams. There's a sexy new singer in town. 22 million views in just three days. We're already calling him the next big white kid. He's the cutest boy in the whole world. He's 13, but an icon. He's an artist. He is everything. Chase Dreams. Chase Dreams. Chase Dreams. So, Mom, does this kind of talent run in the family? You have other kids, right? Um. Hi, I'm Carrie Dubeck, and I'm reading for the role of man at party who smells fart. <clears throat> classic Brooke. She's hot. She's cool. Yes. She has always got deodorant on the outside of her clothing. No, no, no. No. I don't know. I, I want to stop. We might not be the hot new twink or whatever, but all three of your kids are equally successful millennials. Well, you guys aren't millennials. We yeah, we Google are. We it. looked it up. It's, it's 1982, 1982 and after. Now I'm not just the mother of three kids. I'm the mother of a movement. Wow. He is getting famous. Maybe I should just quit. Can we just take one sec and laugh about how funny this is? Maybe I just missed my wave. You are so dumb. What? Chase is your wave. Hey. This is Chase's assistant. I'm bringing him now. I love having a walkie. We must live every day like it's the last day that Chase is famous. Hi, I'm looking to get jacked fast. Chase dreams. He's weirdly my brother. I know. That's why I swipe right. This is Chase Dreams' brother. I can't believe Chase's first time getting drunk was in a club. I'm so worried it's going to ruin Chase's career. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one that's looking out for him. How about this? We crash the plane. Mom. Not into a building, carry into a field so only we die. Mom, no. This is the whole dream family. I'm going to pose like a little pouty cow, and you're going to take a picture and... Me. I'm a gay icon. Since when? This morning. We're hot, we're cool, and we're killing it. Okay, remind me. I need to find a guy to go home with tonight because I don't have a house. I'm equally proud of both of you. You two are very sexy people. Thank you. 200 bucks, you let me lick your foot? Oh my god. Absolutely. That was the trailer for season one of The Other Two, which was originally a Comedy Central uh, sitcom, which is now moving to HBO Max for season two. This is about the two older siblings of a teen, 13-year-old, eventually 14-year-old, uh, like, viral video star and yes. YouTube sensation, Chase Dubeck or Chase Dreams. Chase Dreams. Um, it is like, yeah, so it's a half hour show with not commercials, about 20, 22 minutes. And it just follows like the, the, the sister is a former like child, uh, well, not child, but young, per, like older child, younger adults, uh, dance, a dancer went to a prestigious, uh, school in New York and then has not, uh, hurt her foot and, and has not been able to continue that, uh, career and is sort of you know, flitting around a bit. Um, and then the, the brother, uh, who's the younger brother, uh, of, of her is an actor, a struggling actor in, um, in New York 
who is also a waiter and trying to find his place. Um, they are 30, uh, like 30 and 30 and 28, right? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And uh, like, so either 30 or almost 30. And then their brother, like I said all, earlier was, it's like 13. Their mom, Pat Dubeck or Pat dreams um, is played by Molly Shannon. Um, what did you think of the other two in this examination of what it is to be next to, you know, teen YouTube stardom. Yeah, I think this is pretty funny. Um, for me, it takes a little while to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, particularly, like, I think it shifts in the second half really well. Um, I think the first few episodes are funny, but also a little tired in a lot of instances. I think a lot of the stuff with, like, Wanda Sykes' um, manager character or executive from the record label or whomever she plays doesn't really track for me. But I think that the core relationship between the Dubaks, as well as, and we buried the lead here, um, Ken Marino as Streeter Peters, <laughs> um, Chase's uh, manager, who is fantastic in this show. He's just delightful. Um, keeps everything chugging along really, really well. And so I ended up really enjoying this and finding it very funny, especially again towards the end of the season, um, that I was very pleasantly surprised that they found a way to do this kind of a story that does not make Chase the butt of any of the jokes. Which is the big thing about a show like this, is that it's very easy to turn Chase into a YouTube Justin Bieber, and they do a lot of Justin Bieber iconography for him anyway, as it stands. But they studiously avoid that. And I think that that's arguably one of the most impressive things about this. And instead, the comedy is around Brooke and Carrie and their struggles to, as you say, find themselves within this whirlwind that is consuming them. And then by the end of the season, realizing that this whirlwind is what's keeping them alive. And what does that mean? So I think that there's a lot of surprisingly nuanced stuff here. But then there's also just like big swing performances, especially for Molly Shannon, um, that just you get to see Molly Shannon do something completely different than you really get to see Molly Shannon typically do. Um, so I think that there's a lot of very good stuff in this that I'm actively looking forward to season two of this. And I was very glad that we watched this. And I was very sad that this went totally unwatched by me last year because this dropped in January of 2019. We're just getting to it now. (laughs) So how was your experience watching this? And how did you feel about the arc of the show? Um, I, yeah, I liked it a lot. And I thought actually the most interesting part of it to me was how subtly they played a lot of the characters issues with their father. When the show starts, the, the paterfamilias, uh, has died about six months earlier. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, they, they, they aren't subtle with the, you know, there's a secret around it, you know, kind of, yes. like, they're not subtle with that, but, um, eventually you, you learn that the, you know, the brother had come out, uh, as gay and that had been challenging for the dad. He was trying to, he was doing his best is what, you know, the mom says he's trying to, to 
um, be supportive, but was dealing with home, you know, internalized homophobia and everything. And so that really impacted the son. And he like, like there, there are these different issues that the characters are dealing with, um, that they explore, but they do it in ways that let you kind of let the character breathe a bit more. So for, in, yes. for the example of that character, he's dealing with a lot of internalized homophobia, uh, that he doesn't, like acknowledge or really understand until he gets about halfway through the season and someone's like oh sorry i didn't know you were gay i would have asked you out a long time ago and he goes oh thank you wait a second oh that's a problem why did i say thank you that that person thought i was straight oh, okay <laughs> and like you can see him like i oh, time to call my therapist um but the show doesn't then linger on that it shows him kind of trying to find his like like he that is something that he's clearly still dealing with and trying to come to a place of self uh, of more clear self-acceptance like because he thought he did not have any issues with that and until he realized that there was like some peripheral oddness to how he was presenting himself and the kind of behavior he was comfortable with from his roommate and from his friends and and how he wanted to be perceived that he just wasn't even like he was just blind to so like so you watch him dealing with that kind of stuff throughout the course of the season but it does it's not a, it's not a main storyline. It's just the kind of thing that gets touched on here and there. And there's some other threads like that as well that I think the the show does a really good job with. I'm surprised um, that you would you connected so much to the Molly Shannon performance. For me, it was a very typical Molly Shannon performance. She's an excellent actor, but um, when she, when it's like when she starts going broader, Pat is obviously she's still very impacted by the the death of her husband um, and trying to not deal with that in very (laughs) dramatic ways. Um, But I actually did not, I didn't really like when it went broader. Um, I I, I much prefer her when, when she's uh, doing subtler, smaller performances. Um, So I I think of her fantastic episode on Hannibal. I think of her on um, just when, when she's shown up in, in, subtler performances that's when i really love her her performances as opposed to when she goes broader and more comedic with it i was speaking like more so specifically like her monologue on the plane um and she's doing like a lot of stuff on that in that plane episode across the board that i think is really good and hits both what you're talking about with like really quiet moments because everything in the um everything in the bathroom yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, is very quiet from her. And she's doing like a lot of really like quiet stuff in response to the conversations that everyone's having with her. Um, and then everything with her when she lays out everything, I think is just really kind of gut wrenching. And I think Shannon nails it. Um, and she kind of talked about how she never gets to play this kind of stuff. Um, so she was she was also like really excited about it as well. Um, so for me in particular, the plane, which is I think Chase drops his first album. Yeah, yeah, which is the penultimate episode. Um, that that I think works really really well. Yeah, I like the um, again like a Marino right. The the character is absolutely ridiculous. So good. Um, and again, it's a very it's a very, it's the kind of forms you expect from Ken Marino because he's very yes. good and he's been very good for a very long time. Um, but they do, I like that they give him like two, maybe two, maybe definitely two, maybe three moments all season where you're like, oh, there's actually value here. Okay. 
the rest of the time he's a buffoon, I feel like it would be too easy to go back to the, ah, but he's really a wily, you know, manager, kind of go to that well too often, and they really don't, which is great. Um, the Like, his whole thing in the finale is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really, really good. It's very good. It's very good. Um, and I think that, you know, the the decision to just make Chase, you know, a sweet kid who's doing his best in a not great situation um, and or like he's having he's having fun with everything and he's trying to enjoy it. But he's just like a regular kid. He's not like um, uh he hasn't been turned into, like, the nightmare problem child star kind of thing. Right. He hasn't been in the business long enough for that to have happened. You can start to see, thing like, you can see that starting to happen a bit, but it's not even him so much as everything around him. Yes. And he's just a really sweet kid who's having a rough time um, in, in being pulled in too many directions, but... I like the decision to just be very straightforward with him. The songs that they do for him are great. They're so funny. Yeah, they're they're, they're all very good. They nail those songs. Um, the part of this that we haven't talked about yet is, like, potentially the most important part. And that is Jasagara as Lance. He's so good. L- listeners, if you don't know, he previously was on Arrow as Adrian Chase. Here, he's a very sweet and dumb very dumb ex-boyfriend of of Brooke, uh, the sister, and uh, he's just so good. <laughs> and first of all, Sagara is just, like, I've only seen Sagara as um, Adrian Chase on Arrow. One of the better supporting villains, I think. Like, yeah. Like, like, recurring villains. Yeah. And I haven't seen him in anything else, and he's got a, he's got, like, a significant amount of, like, work behind him, especially, like, Within television, but he's also been on theater a ton. And he and um, Helena York knew each other from their work on their respective works on Broadway. Um, But everything that they do for Lance and everything that Sagara does for Lance is just beautiful. It's really funny. You're laughing at him, but then you sometimes end up like wanting just to protect him from everyone else on the show because they're all kind of low-key terrible sometimes to him and they shouldn't be because he's so supportive and all he wants to do is make sneakers that either have a drawer in them for you to keep your change in mm-hmm. or are made out of whiteboard material so you can make him how make him look however you want but i ran here so some of the stuff <laughs> um he's but he's just He's so great. Like, everything on that bridge, Kate, everything on that bridge during Chase's birthday party is just beautiful. Um, it's just so good. Um, and then his his realization of things in at the end of the season, I just, I think is really, really great. Both for him, but also for Brooke. Um, so Scar just kind of stealthily steals the show every time he's on screen. Um, not as much as say Justin Theroux steals stuff without even being present. <laughs> um, but also I just love that he, he, my favorite thing literally Kate is that I don't know if I like the leftovers. How many of it, how much of it have you watched? Three seasons. I think you don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was very funny. That was very good. Um, the, yeah, that apartment is great. 
Why is the motorcycle a toilet? How does that make sense? It just and I love that they don't explain it. You just hear that one sound effect and that's it, and that's all you need. It's much better that way. Um, <gasps> like the whole supporting cast is really good, um, but I wanted to especially shout out um, Brandon Scott is very good as uh, Curtis, who is the other gay waiter who is friends yes. with Carrie. Um, but Daniel K. Isaac is so swoon worthy as oh, Jeremy, God, he's the teacher. So great. Oh my god. And you're just like, you're watching Carrie screw this up, going like, what are you doing? You were never going to do better than this guy. Ever. What What are you doing? He's amazing. Oh god. And, but, and I can appreciate as a viewer, this is what Carrie needs to do so he can realize the pain he's in. And like, yes. But like, why do some of the lessons have to be so hard? Why, why can't they learn the lesson before they completely destroy, like, shot at, at, at a, a a fabulous relationship with Jeremy. Yeah, and when you talked about, like, Chase not falling into the trappings of everything, um, but you watch Carrie just, in that episode in particular, just do every bad thing, including just get obsessed with the, um, with the, the lays The lasers. <laughs> Which is such a 30 Rock joke, but I'm okay with it here, um, because it's a very good joke that works really really well um yeah no watching him just totally botch everything with um jeremy is just gut-wrenching and i Mm -hmm. hated every minute of it (laughs) just like buddy no you should move to the suburbs and be with this very nice man (laughs) yeah get out of new york it's bad for you it's not good it's not good um did you have any other parts of the season that you particularly enjoyed any other things you were looking forward to for next season um well it's going to be on hbo max next season which opens them up to do um different stuff and more explicit stuff if they feel like it it is also we should note joining um this uh the show south side uh, is also from comedy central switching to hbo max um, and Aquafina is Nora from Queens is also now exclusively available on HBO Max as well. Um, so I think all of this is, and, um, whatchamacallit, Nora from Queens is second season, which will drop soon, I think, um, probably, maybe, I don't know, hmm. um, will also be on Max as well, I think. Okay. Um, which I think all lines up with a lot of the stuff that Comedy Central talked about um, late last month about totally overhauling how they think about their programs and their development slate. So I think we're starting to see that play out already. Um, And at the same time, it just boggles my brain because I just go, but wait, we're about to rebrand CBS All Access as Paramount Plus. Why are you just giving away your content? It's very Um, strange. It's super strange, and I don't understand what's happening over there. Um, but Viacom CBS has always just been such a weird fucking mess, regardless of when they were separated and when they're together. They're always a mess. Um, so I don't know what's happening, but it's very weird. So I'm super curious to see what's going to happen here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, it It's going to take more than just three shows for, for me to think about HBO Max as something other than... Oh, it has Legendary, and it has a couple of the shows, but it's where I'm going to go for 
reruns of HBO. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, but it also has Harley Quinn, so that's something. To look yeah, it has Harley <laughs> Quinn, right? It's it, like because DC Universe is dead. Like it's very dead. It's it's very dead. That was the other news from this week that we we didn't get into. But yeah, um, but the like the the brand like there just isn't a brand yeah, identity no, to isn't. these. The streamers that have had the most success with that have had a, a very clear identity for me. Um, uh-huh. And like, so, so like Netflix will pick up your favorite show and give it two more seasons and then cancel it. <laughs> right. Or it'll create its own interesting show and again, cancel it after three seasons. Um, Amazon really would like you to take it seriously, please. And thank you, but not enough to fix its, its app. And Hulu is actually where a lot of really interesting stuff is. Um, and certainly awards baby stuff is, and that's sort of how I delineate them right now. And HBO max is going to have a lot of work cut out for them if they want to try to compete in that sphere. And the one I think is precious is Peacock thinks it is going to be, it's like, Oh, Oh honey. Bless your heart. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you for letting us watch Columbo. <laughs> yes. Thank you for uh, for us being able to watch Columbo. Um, because, I mean, no. Just, just, no. They just have so much, they have such a head start. Those other network, you know, like, streamers have such a head start that Peacock, you're, you're not going to catch them. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, th- this is not about the other two. Uh, I am looking forward to season two. Uh, the, the, reveal that we're headed theoretically into a season centered on Pat and her new talk show rather yes. than while Chase goes off to college. He's 14. How is he going to it college? It doesn't make any sense. It's very dumb. And the fact that when they're trying to convince him not to, no one mentions, well, maybe you should actually graduate high school first. No one mentions that part. Um, and what is wrong with Michael Chase saying that to a 14 year old? <laughs> you know, I can buy it. <laughs> no, I can too. And I love that he's the one who did it. <laughs> yeah. That that's a yeah. Well, we should mention that this show is created by Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, who are writers over at were writers over at SNL, um, and work yep. together. So um, yeah, they, they've got some connections there that make sense. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to what season two is going to be, and I like that. You know, I was curious just how dark the show was going to go with the two you know leads of Brooke and Carrie um, losing track of their priorities with around their brother. Um, it, as they were getting drawn into riding the wave of chase, right? And so I, I appreciate that they really do center back on what is best f- for him or what they think or he thinks is best for him, you know? Yeah, um, but he's also the breadwinner for this family now. So there's a lot of, like, sudden ratcheting up of tensions that they can really explore in this second season that I'm actually really interested in. Um, but also Pat is now the breadwinner with uh, Pat! Exclamation point! Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. That could be a lot of that could be a lot of fun. I expect it will be. More Molly Shannon is going to be a good thing. So yes, more Molly Shannon is a it. good thing here. Yep. Well, any final thoughts? You recommend this, right? People should seek it out. Oh no, absolutely. Go and watch this. It's very funny. Um, it's super easy to watch. Very watchable. Very bingeable. Discreet episodes, but with like a clear escalation to them. Yeah, it's good. And uh, that plane episode is really fun. Um, yeah. Okay, well, that will wrap up our episode for this week. A uh, few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com and you can also find uh, us in Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And of course, we are both on Twitter. I am 
at the Televerse. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks so much for a great week, Kate. Well, thank you, Noel. And listeners, uh, Noel, what, Noel, let's tell the listeners, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week is the Make You Watch-a-thon. So listeners, new listeners who maybe joined in since the last one, this is yeah. where I make Kate watch one show, Kate makes me watch one show, and then we discuss them. Um, So what are we doing this year, Kate? So this year, uh, you are having me watch the first season of uh, The Promised Neverland, which is a 13-episode, half-hour season, uh, available on Crunchyroll? It's an anime? So it's available everywhere, basically. So it's on Crunchyroll, you can watch it on Hulu, High Dive, Funimation, um, but... I would suggest watching it on Hulu because they have both subs and dubs over on the Hulu version. Um, Same thing with Funimation, but Hulu, most people have Hulu. So Mm -hmm. you can watch it on Hulu. That's probably where I'd recommend watching it. Okay. And I'm having you watch... Peep Show, the British comedy series about something. I don't know what it is. But I'm excited to watch it because I know a lot of people like this show. (laughs) Yeah, we're just watching... We're just talking about season one. Because, like... Yes, I know we're talking about how there's not a lot of TV right now, but we also do a daily podcast about Lucifer, which takes a lot of time. So we actually have less viewing time than back before all this started. Um, So we're trying to keep the episode count down. So if you would like to watch more, you're more than welcome, but it's all on Netflix. And this is, you know, Mitchell and Webb? Yeah. This is is Mitchell and Webb's show. Well, okay. besides that Mitchell and Webb look, obviously. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, I have not, I've never seen it. I'm making myself watch it too, so I look forward to it. We'll talk about it next week. I've seen The Promised Neverland, and this just continues my trend of trying to find an anime that Kate actively likes. As I like to goes, many animes. I just, you know, don't well, tend to an like, anime have that them I recommend. speak to my soul. <laughs> no, I like plenty of animes that you recommend. I just, they, I, they tend not to... I, I tend not to connect to them anywhere near as strongly as you do. I tend to appreciate them, but it tends to be more intellectual and less emotional. Um, so we'll see if this is the one. Maybe this is I'm just never going to forgive you for not emotionally connecting to Chihaya. Yeah, it was fine. It was no, good. it's okay. I enjoy it. On, on the upside, Promise Neverland does not demand an emotional connection so much. Um, okay. So, like, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested for you to watch this one. So. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, and it's go- it's going to be it's going to be the end of the ninth year of the Televerse, mm-hmm. and yeah. then then theoretically then the ne- the next week it would normally be our fall preview, but you know not this year uh, is the beginning of year ten. So it's a long time. No, no, it's it's great because we can just do a bunch of responses to coming soon to Tuesdays on ABC. Big Sky from David E. Kelly. <laughs> Haven't you enjoyed that trailer that you've seen for it on Holy Moly 2, which is not a trailer? And also that they bill it as from the creator of Big Little Lies as opposed to the creator of a gazillion other shows as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, uh, it's going to be interesting what's yeah. going to happen. I heard that Swamp Thing is being aired by the CW this fall. Yes, um, but it's also going to be on HBO Max pretty shortly. In fact, all the DC Universe originals are in confirmed uh, being ported over to HBO Max, including Young Justice. So we can actually do the uh, original Young Justice run, um, and I can maybe finally like the show. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So listeners, reach out with your thoughts on any and all, and we'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.